When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 117, Symbiosis. Hey, we're um, doing a show. Right. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. Great. And you're Ken. Yeah. Ray. Yeah. You think that's, uh, you think that's enough of that? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> please, please say yes. That's enough. <laughs> Great. Each week on Mission Log, we dive deep, uh, deep as we can, into a Star Trek story, examining the messages, morals, and meanings uh, dredged up, and whether the whole thing stands the test of time. Uh, this week, Parasite. I'm sorry, Symbiosis. And uh, and good news, this one's free. Yeah. And hey, if you would like to get in touch with us, we would love for you to. Our yeah. contact. Uh, our contact information facebook skype and twitter you can reach us there mission log pod or you can call us at 323-522-5641 you can email us at mission log at roddenberry.com our show website mission log podcast.com you'll find our shows as well as discovered documents and other important information and we have two distributors who we are very proud to be a part of their lineups, trekmovie.com and trekfmtrek.fm. Please give them both a look for more Star Trek news and fun. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I had somebody ask me the other day um, how this show gets produced. Not yeah, like, very like, well. Like the, no, the actual... <laughs> wow, I'm about no. to curse you out. No. The, 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 the actual editing and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, somebody asked about that. Like, like, do you do that sometimes? Do I do that sometimes? Uh, so far, with, with with a couple of exceptions, I've mm-hmm. I've been editing every episode of this. Yeah. And, I, and actually I, doing an exceptional job. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but that's not why I said it. I, I'm, I'm very happy uh, that we get to use the music from Warp 11. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy that we get to use the music from Key Theory. Mm. I have never wanted so much for this to just be a regular like a radio show as I have this week because all the drug songs yeah. <laughs> that I want to play <laughs> in this. So so and and God bless Key Theory and God bless Warp Eleven or you mm. know whoever. Yeah. Um. It, it's it's um just when you're hearing those, know that I've I've chosen that music specifically for this episode. But what I'm really playing is is Perfect Drug by Nine Inch Nails, uh, right. Captain Jack by Billy Joel, uh-huh. um, Major Tom, I think, Sh- uh, or Space Pur- Oddity, rather. Purple Haze. Uh, well, Purple Haze is interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, a bunch of stuff that, uh, yeah, so there is an alternate soundtrack to this, and, and, and one day... Um, well, yeah, and just whatever drug song you like. Yeah, and just have everything by the doors, just played at once, just all on top of each other during the show. You see, I was singing songs about drugs specifically, not just songs inspired by. 
like comfortably numb would probably sure. be in here. Sure. I would say yeah. that's that's there as well. But you know, that's 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 sort of alt universe um mission log, if, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will. Mm-hmm. Which which I imagine is interesting to no one, but I can't get those songs out of my head. You know what might help me? What's that? A little trivia. Ooh, I think I can help you there. Okay. All right, so the original title of today's episode was called The Substance, and it was written by Robert Lewin. Now, I mentioned Robert Lewin last week because we talked about kind of the end of his brief period as a writer-contributor to Star Trek The Next Generation. This was the last of his pieces produced for Next Gen before leaving. Uh, so the script is credited to Lewin along with uh, Hans Beimler and Richard Manning. And um, one of the more interesting kinds of discovered documents uh, I think that I get to come across every now and then is the research notes. You know, the the scripts, they sometimes, depending on the draft that you get and if you find notes, you know, those are interesting to go page by page and see what changes. But I think the research notes are really cool because the scripts would go out and come back with a page-by-page breakdown of, well, you have to change this, you can't change this, you can't say that. Um, Some of it, stuff that fans would probably pick up on right away, like um, uh, there's one note saying, well, if the Enterprise is saying, move forward toward this star at warp two, uh, you can't do that because they would have overshot it and ended up past the solar system at that point. So you really just need to use impulse power to move it a little bit closer. Um, One of the notes that I thought was interesting is um, what if this show could have been very different if the Enterprise had actually found a bunch of human-sized bird creatures and that might have happened if they had stuck with the original name uh, instead of going with uh, Ornara, it would have been Aurelia, but somebody pointed out in the research notes they had already used that in the animated series. So they had to change those names. Yeah. So what I'm going to post for Discovered Documents will have two pages of research notes and we'll also have a note from Maurice Hurley uh, to Gene Roddenberry about some of the uh, script questions, notes, um, ideas for tightening up and clarifying certain scenes. So take a look at that Discovered Documents on the Mission Log website. Um, I'm also going to post another thing. This will go out in our social media, uh, a clip from Reading Rainbow. And of course, we all know Reading Rainbow because of LeVar Burton. And uh, this is the the episode that famously was highlighted in the behind the scenes look at Star Trek The Next Generation as produced by Reading Rainbow. So we'll all get to take a look at that. Uh, I imagine most of you have seen it by now, but it's fun to revisit kind of in context of the episode. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, a couple of uh, interesting guest stars we have this week. Oh, oh, (laughs) it was it was like Christmas for me, wasn't it? Yeah, because I mean, I think I've I've mentioned this on more than one occasion here. Uh, Star uh Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, yeah, is my Christmas movie. Oh yeah, every Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. every Christmas Eve I watch Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, and and today when that when they you know show up on the transporter, I actually recognize um. Merritt Buttrick's uh, voice yeah. before we get a clear shot of him. But then when he and uh, Judson Scott, I'm just stepping yeah. all over your trivia no, stuff here. No, that's fine, I man, because I know it's exciting and what, you can't hold back. When yeah. they both show up on the transporter, I was like, oh my goodness. So either either um, Benedict Cumberbatch or Ricardo Maltavon should be somewhere <laughs> on the corner. Right, right. Well, it's a lot of fun because we've talked maybe just a little bit uh, before about... Uh, at least within the first season of Next Gen, um, 
a really clear distinction between next gen and the original series. So they'll throw in a reference and kind of a ham fisted reference like, Oh, that was Kirk's ship when they had that uh, disease that made everybody freak out. Or you have the visit from Admiral McCoy, Uh, but they tried not to do any crossover characters. And here we don't have a crossover character, but two really prominent crossover actors, Merritt Buttrick, who of course played, Young, <laughs> young David in Star Trek Two, and then we saw again in Star Trek Three, and a photo of very, I, I think so, just kindly and appropriately displayed in Star Trek Six, mm-hmm. um, and then Judson Scott, who of course played the uncredited Joaquin, and, and I was amazed to hear that. Yeah, I know, you know, because he's so memorable yes. from the Wrath of Khan. His he had, is the yeah. superior supporting role. It is. It is. So he, of course, has had a long uh, sci-fi and fantasy background in his career. You know, a couple of highlights. The Phoenix, which was on at the same time as Wrath of Khan. So I kind of I remember when Wrath of Khan came out going, oh, wait, that's that. I've seen that guy in in an ad for a TV show I never watched. Um, and, (laughs) And a few years later on V. Uh, which was just so cool. Yeah, he was in the series. Um, And I I loved that miniseries, and I loved the series Warts and All. There were many. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had a prominent role in that as well. He showed up a little later in the X-Files. Now, Merritt Buttrick, sadly, his career was cut short. He died much too young uh, as a result of AIDS. Um, I would say that, you know, obviously his Star Trek uh, credits are so well known and and he's so fantastic in that role as David and it's nice to see him again here um, can I believe you remember another show he was on Square Pegs yeah he'll always be whoever the heck that was to me yeah actually he'll always be David Marcus to me but yes he was also that I don't even was he a stoner was he just a was he loopy what was he I, I thought he was a, he was the loopy iconoclast all right there you go yeah Maybe he was the stoner too, and how appropriate for this show? Indeed, well, not just uh, uh, what, not just appropriate, totally appropriate. Yeah, this might yeah. be the way to say it. I'm not sure. All right. Well, a couple other things to point out here. So Delos, uh, they're in the Delos system. And uh, I kind of I chuckled a little bit when I heard that. I mean, Delos, yes, it is a Greek island. And boy, the Greek references just keep coming back in Star Trek. When in doubt, use something from the Greek alphabet or a Greek phrase or word. But Delos is also the location of the theme park. It's the name of the theme park in Westworld. And not only is Westworld one of my favorite 70s science fiction movies, it also features a prominent performance by Majel Barrett Rottenberry. So check that out if you haven't seen it in a very long time. And finally, we have to talk about Denise Crosby. Now, Ken, you know how I hate jumping out of the timeline. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we don't we don't do that here. We don't do that. One. We <laughs> they, never they, cross the timeline here. There's there's a reason that we try to do that because we we try not to lead with information about a character or a story arc. We we want to treat the episodes one by one. Right. But in trivia here, it's kind of important that we point out something about what was going on behind the scenes at Next Gen. So this episode was shot. After they had filmed the next episode aired, which is Skin of Evil, mm-hmm. in which we lose the Tasha Yar character. I know. Spoiler. Wait alert. a minute. What? I know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. 
there'll be a lot less of her going forward. <laughs> a whole lot less. She's- um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but here's what's interesting about it. A couple of fun little things here. So, uh, Denise Crosby, it had already been decided she was going to leave the show. And her finale episode had already been shot. And there's a moment, Ken, I don't know if you noticed it, and it took me a few times watching it before I noticed it. At about 42 minutes and 20 seconds, depending on how you're watching it, but about 42 minutes into it, there is a scene with Picard and Beverly leaving the uh, the cargo area, and the door is closing behind them, and Denise just leans in and waves right to the camera. It's totally adorable. <laughs> no, I it's didn't see so that. great. And it's worth mentioning because there has been controversy about her leaving the show, mm-hmm. and there have been rumors about her leaving the show, and it's kind of nice to see that she's having fun. And that that was her last scene. That was her last day on set shooting that. And here she is sort of hamming it up at the very end. So good for her. And I'm glad that made the final cut. I don't we're going to talk about a couple of things with her performance later, but I did not realize Mm -hmm. that until you just said it. I mean, it's weird because I mean, it's easy to go back and it's not quite retconning, but it's easy to go back and try to say, okay, well, now I can see something. But she actually seemed more comfortable in this episode. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. than in many of the episodes that we've talked about in the past. Yeah. 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 No, think, very true. You think that's just like the whole, eh, I'm out anyway. It may be. And it, it also have fun with it. Of, it may also be luck of the draw, just, you know, the, the combination of writer-director um, mm-hmm. and, and character moments. But yeah, but she, she is totally settled into it, and it's just sort of nice to see her leave the show on that high note. It's the Wrath of Khan meets Train Spotting. It's less than zero meets meets the Wrath of Khan. I guess the point is, this episode has drugs and actors from the Wrath of Khan. Prologue. There's a star in the Delos system behaving a little strangely. Weird magnetic field fluctuations, flares, all really beautiful and worth a look by the crew in the Enterprise. The phenomena are wreaking havoc on the Enterprise systems, which makes people nervous, prompting Captain Picard to say, Great, let's get even closer. Unexpectedly, a distress signal is picked up from a nearby freighter. They seem to be out of control and no good way to correct their course. Act 1. The freighter is called Sanction, and it comes from the planet Ornara. Captain Tijan is having a hell of a time keeping it in orbit, probably because of all the weird activity on their sun. When Picard tries to figure out how to help, the guy on the other end just seems clueless. When the Enterprise offers to help, Tijan is like Jeff Spicoli trying to pass a test. The more intense the trouble gets, Riker offers to beam over to help, but the Sanction is losing orbit. Tasha has an idea. She'll link up to their transporter and help evacuate the six people on board. When she's ready to engage, um, the only thing on the transporter pad is cargo. Where are the people? Worf lets us know that the sanction is doomed. Act two. And the sanction blows up after falling out of orbit. But not to worry, a fast-thinking Tashiar and a very slow-moving group of survivors from the sanction were beamed over before the ship went kaput. Did I mention there were six people on that freighter? Okay, forget that. Only four of them made it. 
They don't really care, though. All they're worried about is the cargo they sent earlier. Tasha beamed it over to a cargo hold to get it out of the way, and the new guests want to see it now. No problem. Tasha and Riker take them to the cargo hold. Let's meet these people, shall we? There's Tijan and Romas from Ornara. They're kind of worked up about the whole thing. Keeping their cool are the Breckians, Sobi, not the drink, and Langer. The four of them start to argue over the cargo, Tijan and Romas claiming it's theirs, Langer and Sobi saying, um, no it's not, you haven't even paid for it yet. Then they kind of fight over it, like people over a Black Friday run on plasma TVs and Xbox, until one of them shows off a neat trick. Tijan goes for Sobi with a kind of electric charge in his hand. Sobi reciprocates. Sobi's female companion, Langer, zaps Romas. Tasha's had enough and is ready to turn the fire hose on them to break up the fight. Phaser shot breaks them up just as well. Enter the great negotiator. Picard meets with his new guest to get to the bottom of it. On one side of the table, Tijan and Romas plead for the cargo, a much-needed medicine to treat the people of Ornara from a deadly plague. On the other side, calm and collected, Sobi and Langer say, look... The medicine is very difficult and very expensive to make. We can't just give it away. Oh, that's very interesting and everything. But wait, your people are all infected with a deadly plague? Let's maybe get the doctor in on this after we declare a medical emergency on board the Enterprise. Act 3. Dr. Crusher tells the captain that everybody may actually be fine. The Breckians are in perfect health, and the Ornarans are showing symptoms of a disease, but there's no cause. They'll probably just get over it naturally. The Ornarans beg the captain to help them. They feel that they will die if they don't have the medicine, so Picard does what he can. He asks the Breckians to just give up a couple of doses to help to John and Romus right now. They agree, and for free, what good sports. In the cargo bay, they all gather around to open a container full of... Lentils? Well, no, it's the drug, Felicium. Very potent. Only a tiny dose is needed to hold off the symptoms of the plague in Ornarans for up to 72 hours. Dr. Crusher says she still can't find the cause, and Langer says, yeah, right? It's a weird disease because in 200 years, we haven't found the cause either. Anyway, here's a Felicium to keep those guys going. Also, we really need to solve this because we have literally no other jobs on Brecca other than making this drug. With the medicine, Dr. Crusher returns to sickbay where Tijan and Romas are eager to take a hit. Almost immediately after the dose, they calm down. They slow down and all is right with the world. Dude. Dr. Crusher has figured it out. And she tells Picard what's going on. Felicia may or may not help with disease, but it definitely acts like a narcotic. The people on Ornara are addicted. Act 4. Data has done some research. Apparently the Ornarans were more advanced than the Breckians for most of their history. Then, about 200 years ago, a deadly plague did hit them. A plant that could cure them existed on Brecca, but it couldn't be grown on Ornara. The one little detail the Ornarans seemed to miss, the plague was no longer a threat, and they have been severely addicted to the narcotic effects of the Breckian drug for a couple of centuries, and the Breckians are all too glad to provide them with what they want. Picard and Crusher see this from opposite viewpoints. Picard says he can't do anything. 
It's not his place to interfere or impose his values on the situation. Crusher says it's not about that. These are people who are addicted and exploited and who she can easily help. At that time, a communication from Renara comes through. It's their leader, Margan, and he seems desperate and strung out, too. Picard agrees to let him talk to Tijan and Ramos, but in a little while. And now we break for an ABC after-school special titled, What Are Drugs? I'll play Wesley and Ken will play Tasha. <clears throat> I don't understand. Why would people take drugs? Well, you see, drugs make them feel good. But it's artificial, right? Yes, but sometimes people take them to escape a bad situation. It distorts their reality, making them think they're happy when they really aren't. You mean like the settlers on Omicron SETI 3? Shut up, Wesley. This is totally different, and you clearly don't get it, John. <clears throat> Wesley? In the guest quarters, Margan tells Tijan just how desperate things are on Onara. Tijan, in a move of desperation, grabs Riker with that neat little electrical charge trick from his hands and threatens to kill him if Picard doesn't release the Felicium. Picard says, look, I feel for you. But you're not a killer. And Tijan backs off. He's so sad and desperate. But Picard says he's not sure he can help. Act 5. Now Langer has an offer. She and Sobi are willing to give this shipment of Felicium to the Ornarans out of the goodness of their hearts. Of course, as Picard and Beverly point out, it's also a benefit to them to keep the cycle of addiction going. That's right. The Breckians know what's going on. Picard says his hands are tied. The Prime Directive prohibits him from interfering with the Breckians' decision, even though Beverly disagrees wholeheartedly. A very smug Langer and Sobi walk to the cargo hold where the Felicium and the new parts for the other Ornaran freighter are to be beamed down along with these four people. Tijan and Romus are greatly relieved, thrilled that they are going to get the Felicium they need. Langer and Sobi are glad they'll keep their best, well, their only client, even if they have to squeeze them for payment later. Everyone's happy, until Picard throws a little wrench in the works. The parts he was going to supply to help the Ornarans with their remaining freighter will not be going with them. Tijan and Roma subject, without the repaired freighters, they won't be able to ship Felicium. Langer and Sobi object too. Yeah, what about our drug money? Sorry, says Picard. Non-interference is non-interference, whether you like the outcome or not. The Breckians are mortified. The Ornarans are terrified. Picard is satisfied. In the turbo lift a moment later, Beverly is still upset that these people are being left to carry on their drug trade and exploitative relationship. Picard explains, the prime directive is important. Even if it feels wrong in the short term, non-interference is the only way to ensure humans aren't making things worse. The end. Okay, I feel like I need to correct you on one thing. What's that? Beverly wasn't really upset that the uh, drug trade was going to continue because the drug trade's done. There's no getting back and forth between their planets now. Mm. She was upset that they're all going to go into withdrawal. And that's, yeah, true, and that's true. like that's like a really that's honestly a, a big thing because I could see them killing themselves. Honestly, the next however long week, <laughs> two weeks on this planet mm -hmm. or on that planet is going to be just terrible. Now, I, I will say, in addition to that, yeah, the Breckians really should have their own distribution system set up. 
that's the thing that kind of drove me yeah. nuts. I've been I've been watching The Wire again lately. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm a huge fan of The Wire, and and the way the way they have that whole thing set up is there's a, there's a house out in the suburbs that would be uh, Brecca, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they 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 bring the drugs to near, um, well, the projects and 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 the wire or the or the pit, I guess, is what they call the one where D and the and Poot hang out. <laughs> and, and and so there, there's a place near there where they have like a cache of drugs, right? Yeah. But then they actually come and they bring the drugs basically right to the courtyard in the pit, so that uh, so that or in the low rises, so that all anybody has to do is walk out their door, right? Yeah. So Stringer Bell and Avon Barksdale are not counting on the people in the low rises to to you know to hop in their van and drive out to where the drugs are are manufactured, right. and I think this is a mistake that the uh, Breckians are making. Yeah. Well, well. Here, here's the thing. I will. I, I'm going to use a different pop culture reference. All right, go for it. Okay. How did Sonny Crockett and Rico Tubbs blend in as drug dealers? They got themselves a Ferrari. Yeah. Right. And they wore really nice suits. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the Breckians need Ferraris. I mean, they they got the nice suits. They already that, got the nice clothes. It's like an A team thing you're doing. I don't even know. No, it's my advice. <laughs> okay. My, my, all right. Uh, but, but the point is, the the drug dealers are the ones who had the fast cars <laughs> right. who were ready to go. They they if you needed a hit, they would get it to you somehow, some yep. way. Yep. Um, it seems like a mistake to leave that to the people who are strung out. This is what I'm saying. I mean, yes. I, I mean yeah. not that you know people who are strung out won't go a long way to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean to get to get a fix. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm just thinking over the 200 years. Although that's you know part of the short sightedness of the Breckians. But I sh- I feel certain that we'll be we'll be talking about that later. Hey, I got a question. Hey, yeah. Have you ever seen a sun like the sun? Whoa. I know. Whoa. Because it's it's big. <laughs> And it's yellow-orange. Well, I mean, a lot of people don't know this. The sun is a mass of incandescent gas. Wait a minute. A gigantic nuclear furnace. Wait a minute. And the, and the Enterprise is going to fly like as close to that furnace as it can get. And hopefully not go back in time when they do it. Yeah. Well, they're going to go slow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's got flares yeah. coming off of it. And wow. Um, and it's so dangerous that they should just keep getting closer because, hey, how else are they going to see it? Yeah, absolutely. I love the they fact, can't. too, that that, uh, that, that, uh, that Counselor Troy is like, you know, everybody's getting really tense on this ship because we're getting yeah. really close to the sun and all the things are turning blue and, the, you mm-hmm. know, stuff's jumping out of the control panels at them. <laughs> right. And so Picard's like, uh, yeah, listen, everybody, I know this is kind of nerve wracking, but it looks awesome. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, that really doesn't help anybody but you. No, no. And, and even Data is like, yeah, well, we, we got to get closer for what? <laughs> For what data? <laughs> so they can make that big black dot covering the sun bigger. Uh, I believe the big big black dot was a uh, photosphere filter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think it was. Yeah, I will. I will say I did like the graphics on that. I mean, I, the graphics could be better, but I like the idea that they were presenting. I mean, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. idea that on the screen we can all do that now. I mean, I've yeah. got two apps on my phone that let me block something out, you know, from a yeah. picture. But in eighty seven, eighty eight, I guess by the time this one hit, mm-hmm. um, it still needs to just be able to go. Hey, can you just get rid of that part? <laughs> right. And and yeah, here, let me push a button and I'll do that. And then the whole you know zooming in on the uh, on the troubled freighter that they yeah, did. Well, it, was, see, it, was neat, it was a neat bit of design. But apparently the zoom works. Yeah. So again, you don't have to get <laughs> closer because you got to zoom on the oh, camera I see what you're on saying. the outside of the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, works so well you can see a freighter. It was kind of weird that yeah, Riker was like, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's, right. it's a star. It, and uh, we, it, it, you know what? You not only have you seen something like it before, you're probably looking at stock footage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah. That. Good point. Um, but hey, you know, for for Captain Picard, mm-hmm. um, contacting the Ornaran freighter, now he knows what it's like to work in tech support. If anybody, <laughs> if anybody listening has ever worked in tech support professionally or just familiarly, yeah, you know, you, you you're the person that your family calls and they say, "Hey, the thing isn't doing that," and you're like, "Are you on drugs?" That's well, if he had yeah. started with that question, it might have been. Although, although actually, they they, they would have answered no. That's the problem, <laughs> right? We need more. As a matter of fact, I am not on drugs, and this is why I turn to you. Right, um, Ken. You brought it up earlier. We we're talking about the well-written Tashiar, mm-hmm. uh, and or the well-performed Tashiar, and or the well-directed Tashiar. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really just seemed perfectly right in this episode, mostly. Well, where would you lay fault? Uh, the after school special in the middle of it. The, well, the, yeah, but I mean, that's the just more, you know, the, yeah. you know, knowing is half the battle. I can't think of any of the other little catchphrases. But, yeah, you expected the shooting star at the end of their discussion. If this had been a 52 minute or 55 minute original series episode, mm-hmm. that would get cut for syndication. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not that it's not an important message, but I mean, here's the thing. Yar has both uh, one of her, I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, do you say Denise Crosby here or do you say Tasha Yar? Yar has one of her best scenes so far and Mm -hmm. a a truly bad scene in this episode as well. The best scene Mm -hmm. was breaking up the fight in the cargo bay, I think. Oh, yeah. Between the Breckians and the Urnarans because Mm -hmm. um, it was just nice. I mean, it it was really cool because, I mean, you know, first four episodes, she would have like shot them. And then she would have run up on them and she would have said, no, cut that out. Yeah. You know, right. And this time she like shoots them and se- separates them, stuns them and separates them and says, it was like, behave gentlemen or yeah. something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, it was yeah. understated. And it was like, look, I've got menace, so I don't have to be menacing. You yeah. now know that I can, I can shut you up. So why don't you shut up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. is kind of, kind of great. Um, the drug talk with Wesley is just painful though. Just absolutely painful. Well, we can chalk out it for the writing specifically. It's just that. And, and how do you, as an actor, how do you even approach that? Whether you are Denise or you're Will, <laughs> you know, yeah. you just look at it and go, oh, okay. Now we're, now we're doing the after school special. All yeah, right. Which is too bad because there was, I mean, there's, there's actually some uh, decent stuff there. Possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, sure. it would give us more background for Tasha, which is going to be very important for the next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, let's talk about another bit of uh, writing that I've felt to be a little painful. Uh, beginning of Act Five. Mm-hmm. That that is, I, I'm going to go ahead and call it. That is the best worst exposition scene we have dealt with so far. Uh, Picard and Beverly literally telling the Breckians the whole backstory as they just stand there with absolutely nothing to say. It, and it went on and on and on because I thought it was going to cut very quickly into that scene. Mm. Picard say, Picard's got that great line. He kind of leans into Beverly just slightly and the other shoe drops, you yeah. know, and, and then, and that's all you need to know is then to say, Oh, of course they knew all along. And then you're waiting for the retort from the Brackians because that would have played like a conversation, but instead the camera is on Beverly and Picard for like what feels like an eternity as they recount the entire history I, I am not sure that I agree with you, mm-hmm. but I think we need to. I think we need to 
stop talking for however long it takes what's her name to say whatever she's going to say and then we'll come right back to this point okay let's do it What's her name? Seriously. After two years, it's what's her name. Fine. Now back to Beavis and Butthead. So here's what I was thinking as uh, as I was watching this episode for uh, for this episode. Um, I think in Star Trek, the next next generation, mm-hmm. every ship should have a lawyer. And and his or her mission is to work every loophole in the prime directive, or or maybe they could have two lawyers, uh, one advocating advocating excuse me for doing more and more every mm-hmm. time, and the other advocating for doing nothing every time. And so I'm I'm also I'm 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 thinking this could actually be a great crossover, and I know a lot of people want to see Star Trek back on TV, mm-hmm. um, Law and Order, the next next generation. <laughs> And, and and so, like in the 25th century, there are two separate yet equally important people on every ship in Starfleet: the people who want to do everything and help everybody, and those who argue against doing anything for fear of breaking the rules. And these are their stories. Now, let me just enter really quickly. Go, say go. That you, you gave me two thoughts. Okay. With that. One is that uh, the introduction of any more red tape into any Starfleet vessel we have seen from history is a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, anybody who has any level of power, uh, it's just a bad thing. And the other thought that crossed my mind is we already had those advocates. We already had those lawyers. And their names were James T. Kirk and Mr. Spock. Ye- yes. Well, except they also had other jobs. No, no. I'm just I'm saying you hire lawyers. Yeah. I'm saying you've got lawyers on, <laughs> just, <laughs> on the Enterprise. They're, they're like right there. So, so you know, when you, when you take that shot of the seven you know, crew members or whatever, there's a there's security chief. There's uh, the navigation dude. There's uh, the engineering guy who all too often ends up on the bridge for some reason. There's the doctor who also all too often ends up on the bridge for some reason. There's the touchy-feely counselor. There's the first in command. There's the second in command. And I believe you know, blah, 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 attorney at law. Mr. Cogsley. Oh, yes, Mr. Cogsley. That would be very good. Mr. Cogsley and his books. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So here's the thing. So here's the reason for the exposition in front of... um, in front of uh, the Breckians, okay, you have to establish the whole prime directive thing. You, uh, it's interesting because I have read ahead in your notes, and and I assume you've read ahead in mine. Mm-hmm. This this to me is much more a prime directive episode than it is a drug episode. Sure, yes, yes, it is. However, I think the approach is a little weird. Okay. Which I, I think we'll wrap up with that. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, sure, we'll yeah. definitely get to that. But I mean, I, I think they have to have that long exposition in front of those people because they have to come to the part. You know, while the, while the, while the Breckians are standing there, they've got to be figuring. And I think you actually see it on Judson Scott's face for a minute. Mm-hmm. They've got to be thinking, oh man, we are so busted. Yeah. And then it's through the conversation that we find out, oh, wait a minute. We're not busted because they can't do anything because they have these rules. And so I right. just I, I can now talk to them about how hard it is for a drug dealer <laughs> because they can't do anything about the fact that I'm a drug dealer. 
And so, and so I, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't bother me that you had that long exposition because it led us to the point of, yeah, so we know that what you're doing is bad as far as we're concerned. And can I get the door for you? Right, right. Well, I, but that's the, the thing about it. I mean, from a writing perspective, I, I feel like that's information that we're picking up pieces of it along the way. Mm-hmm. We already had exposition with data telling Picard, here's what happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. So we're getting all of that stuff laid out in front of us. What's surprising to me is that very often Star Trek directors will look at a script and they'll go, okay, there's all talking and no action. Mm-hmm. So let's figure out a way to give action to a scene where we have to get across important information. That was a scene that felt like they ran out of time to do that. Mm. So even if it's not physical action, very often you would have a bit of dialogue like that where there is motion, you know, people walking together. That's why I actually really like that scene at the end with Picard and Beverly in the turbo lift, because it's shot nicely and you get sort of this moment where Picard has to turn to her and have the talk mm-hmm. you know it just from a directorial point of view it works better the way that scene is working in the Breckian's quarters it's literally two and two facing each other totally still yeah and i kept waiting for the Breckians to interrupt or for there to be a way to break up that scene and break up that dialogue because it just felt like okay we're running out of time in the episode we have to get all of this stuff across so here we go. Bear with us while we do this. Did not that, feel that way to me at all. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. It's good information. It's good information. And, and I do agree with you. I think the thing that I like the most about that is the reaction on Sobe, mm-hmm. Jensen Scott's face, during that moment of realization is very subtle. Yes. But it works. Yes. For that. Yeah. I think so. All right. So let's talk about the Prime Directive. Yes, let's. Um, yeah, okay. So my my feeling on this is I, I was a bit torn on how that was handled here. Not, not in the decision that was made, because I think the show makes for a very good case about why the Prime Directive is what it is and why Star Trek puts such, such emphasis on it, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but I found it... I found it interesting and a little strange that that this sort of hallowed centerpiece of Star Trek was given the focus here because honestly, I feel like it's it's maybe not the kind of lesson that gets applied to the kind of personal story being told in the show. So let me put it to you this way. Sometimes a prime directive shows up in Star Trek when there's a parallel about politics you know, war, the justice system, something big, okay? Mm-hmm. And in this case, we're telling a story about drug addiction, okay? So, yes, we can look at that as the political slash business structure that's in place, and we can allow ourselves a little bit of distance from that. But if the emphasis here, or if there's an important part of the story here that is why people do drugs and how terrible addiction is, then I feel like we can't as individuals rely on the prime directive as a way to be compassionate or thoughtful or even rational in our approach and and responsibility with others. 
that's the thing that sort of didn't, I, I feel like the two halves didn't meet to make a whole in mm-hmm. that respect. So, well, I mean, the prime directive, though, is not about being compassionate. It's not about doing the easy thing. It's not about doing the thing that you want to do. I mean, that's what makes this, to me, a, 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 a sort of a good Prime Directive episode. What, what, what Beverly wants to do is alleviate their pain. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. They're both, gonna, they're both aiming for the same goal. They're going to get these people off the junk, right? Right. Is really what they're aiming for. But she wants to do it in a way that's going to make it easier for them. And Picard does not feel like he can do that because that would violate the Prime Directive. Mm-hmm. Now, I think a lawyer, you know, if they had one on the ship, might have found a way that they, oh, no, no, it'd be okay, because, you know, what, what if we just left this laying there as they walked by and they picked it up or something like that? Right, right, right. It, I mean, it's, it, it, the, prime directive is, the, the prime directive is not, it's not as malleable as it was in the original series. And, and it's interesting that we keep coming back to it. And we've had, we've had more of the Prime Directive, I think, in this first season of Next Gen than we had in at least the first two seasons of the original series, if not all three. Mm-hmm. And it's about the same thing, it seems to me. It's, a, it's you know, whatever the situation, it's about, you know, doing, living by this code that you say you want to live by. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If Picard wants to do something more for these people. He wants to help them. He wants to alleviate their pain. But he can't because of this thing that they have set up. Yeah, well, well here you go. I mean, I'll, I'll play the lawyer again for the other side. Saying right. that, you know, the, the, the little bit of a hole in the prime directive debate is that the Iranians are already a spacefaring culture. Mm-hmm. They even have a transporter. They don't know how to use it, yes. but they have a transporter. Yes. Um, and they've gone along for a couple of hundred years as a spacefaring society. Mm-hmm. Um, and Picard did already help diagnose and presumably solve engine trouble for them at the beginning of the episode, only to renege on that deal later, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I wondered, you know, what if the conversation with Beverly hadn't been about the prime directive, but more of his hunch that if we just leave them alone, they'll eventually either lose their drug shipment and realize the truth on their own or the Breckians will get the drugs to them somehow, which is kind of the other worry here. Either way, our interference probably wouldn't change that. I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. Well, I mean, here's the thing. So Picard is arguing from the point of view simply of the prime directive. We can't interfere because it says we can't interfere and interfering is bad. Right. Even though, like I said, there's a bit of a hole at the beginning where where he's helping with their with their ship. Right. Yeah. They're kind of already involved. Yeah. You know, Um, but that is the crux of his argument to Beverly is just we follow this rule. It says that we can't interfere. Therefore, I'm not going to interfere. Mm-hmm. But really what it comes down to is two possible futures for the Ornarans. Like I said, either they will they will get the drug somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they will beg the Breckians to rebuild their spaceships. The Breckians will build spaceships, whatever it takes. Either they will get the drug somehow or the whole trade falls apart and it's a horrible, horrible moment for them to go through withdrawal. Right. And then hopefully they're better on the other side when they come out of it. Yeah, the Anarans the are going to win here. The Breckians are going to be terrible. Now, it's going to be it's going to be a long road to hoe for the for the Anarans. Yeah. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah. But yeah. the Breckians really do have it worse because yeah. everything in their society is based on on the fact that they are drug dealers and now there will be no one who wants their drug. 
Yeah. And I would say, honestly, the two Breckians that have it worse are the two that we've seen. Why did they go down to Onara? Yeah, right, why? right. <laughs> why, why, why did they go to Onara? And, you know, their whole thing, they were the sober ones on the spaceship to right. begin with. Right. They were the ones who, who should be on top of this whole thing. Yeah. But, yeah, again, that, that's kind of a, a whole in the episode and the the logic of the episode. I have a question. So I I talked about, um, you know, what they might've done earlier as opposed to what what Picard's going to do. Picard decides to give the Arnarans uh, the Felicium because of the prime directive. Uh, Was this his only option? I'm wondering, could he have found a reason to keep the Felicium on the ship? And, and for some reason, I think that this is what Kirk and Scotty would have done. Had Uh had this Uh been earlier, I think they would have found some, you know, clever way um, not that it would have mattered or helped, because we're talking about one more shipment of this drug. The fact that they're not going to give them the parts to fix their ships, and we know that the Breckians don't have ships because they never advanced technologically, you know, past refining this drug. This is the right. only thing that they do. So, I mean, so this all ends with this shipment of drugs. The question is, do they get to have one more high mm-hmm. before it ends? Or, you know, does it end with the withdrawals that they're already going through? There's something poignant to me about Picard having to let these people sail themselves into the rocks one more time. I think, I mean, it would have been a, it would have been a clever bit of, I can see the swagger between Kirk and Scotty about, you know, how they did it for some reason. And, you yeah. know, they might have even just, you know, blown off the last part. Well, it's going to be a rough few weeks for them, but they'll be better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, oh, it would have been Scotty saying like, oh, I beamed it over to the Klingon ship. Do, do, do. You yeah, know, exactly. and, and we all have a laugh about it. And, oh, yeah. it's too bad. All the forms weren't filled out. A eh, captain, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I actually really love the fact that, and I'm, I might be skipping the next uh, segment. If I am, I apologize. I love the fact that we see conflict in everything Picard does here. And that maybe that's a testament to Patrick Stewart. Maybe it's a testament to the writing. I don't know which. But, I mean, none of this is easy for him, which, again, is what makes it a perfect Prime Directive episode because the Prime Directive Prime Directive is a terrible idea. We should just get rid of it. <laughs> it it's never – it's never it, – it's never, it never feels good. And this is, it, Omicron said E3 for everybody. That's what I no, say. No, see, the, 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 the Prime Directive says we can't interfere with the Prime Directive. Oh, man. So. That thing – uh, yeah, get some airtight. Get me a lawyer. <laughs> well, maybe this is where I go back to that idea of the, the, the conflicting stories within this, because we do. We stop the episode in the middle to have the drug talk. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And and we talk and we learn interesting things from Beverly. We, she talks about the psychological and physical components to their addiction and. There were times, you know, the first time that I watched this, I was thinking, okay, well, is this going to be a show about medicine? Is it going to be about addiction? Is it going to be about all of these other issues here? And I guess the place that I I was left with it being uh, very difficult and trying to separate these ideas of the addiction story versus the prime directive story is that I kept thinking just on a personal human level. Because if we look at Star Trek as metaphor and as as moral stories, moral lessons that we can apply to real life, I kept thinking, well, how do we then look at people who maybe are close to you, maybe very distant from you, but they have this problem, they have this disease of addiction? And is the answer then to say, well, we let them crash and we let them hit rock bottom 
because that's more moral than doing everything within our power to help them, to save them, to get them medical attention. And that's where I think the idea of Star Trek as for this episode as metaphor and and moral lesson kind of falls short. And it does become a little more abstract, just about the, the prime directive and abstract that says interference is bad. And I get that. And, and Picard's right. You can point to any example over history, over human history of interference having huge negative downsides. You know, we could talk about any any kind of forced immigration, you know, takeover of, you know, the Hawaiian islands or whatever, where it's like, okay, we're coming in here, we're imposing our culture, your culture is done, because what we have is better. But I think that's a different story from the addiction story going on here. And that's why I keep holding these two aspects of this episode very separate in my mind. Decades after its first airing, what messages does Symbiosis hold, and do they, and the episode itself, hold up? Let's see what Turner and Hooch have to say. This is so weird to me when you and I have... Um I don't want to say complete disagreement on an episode, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's interesting to me when when you and I end up on on well different sides of an episode. So I guess that would be complete disagreement, John. Not com- <laughs> not complete complete. <laughs> I don't know. So this is the part of the show where we decide you know what the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode are, and whether or not the whole thing uh, holds up, whether it stands the test of time. Um, and I think I know your answer, but I'm going to ask you: uh, Does symbiosis or symbiosis or symbiosis <laughs> does this episode does this episode hold up? Um, I, I'm still kind of on the fence about this one. And my best answer for that is not really, okay, but kind of. And and again, I have to look at this as two separate pieces of an episode. The first time I sat down to watch this, I thought it was going to be something different. Um, and, and I thought there might have been something about the ethics of medicine or uh, compassion with people who are addicted or, or something like that. And you have the prime directive element there as well. Um, but I think the prime directive thing is, again, a separate story from the other, the, the medical addiction crisis that's happening here. The addiction crisis, it kind of devolves into a just say no campaign mm-hmm. in that middle of the ABC, you know, after school special in the middle there. Yeah. And and that's really ham fisted and it just feels like it doesn't fit. I think the prime directive stuff, like you said, it's the most, you know, in this first not even full season of next gen, we've dealt more of the prime directive than we ever did in the original series, at least for a big chunk of that. Yeah. Um, but I feel like these are two stories that don't necessarily match up. If we look at it, like I said before, from this sort of individual moral lesson that we could possibly glean from the episode, because I, you know, Beverly, Beverly is right to the extent that 
she's the person whose sole purpose is based on the Hippocratic Oath. Mm-hmm. You know, she sees somebody who's suffering. Her job is to end that suffering, to help them as best she can. You know, and I understand it doesn't match up with the prime directive here in the great abstract sense. But if we take something like that, if it's somebody else, if it's somebody, okay, we we take it from a society that has warp drive and then it's okay for us to intervene. And there's somebody addicted to drugs. So now it's okay for her to intervene and say, hey, look, I can help you kick this thing if you want to kick it. Um, so that's where I I have a little bit of uh, uh, a shortfall. Hmm with this episode all right but you sir you sir disagree i disagree and that's fine. Yeah. okay no, I, I do i it's i mean to me the drug thing is is really almost sort of a backdrop to this if this had just ended up being an anti-drug episode mm-hmm. i would have been bored because we do have after school specials and you know you and i grew up with nancy reagan telling us to just say no yeah i mean the the the, the, the drugs are bad um message is one that you and i whether we, you know, glommed to it or not, and I've never asked you about your history with drugs, honestly, so let's not do that right this minute. No, no, that's not going to go on the air. Whether, <laughs> <laughs> whether you and I, whether that resonated with us or not, it was a message that we'd heard a million times. And if that's all that this episode had ended up being, then it really just should have been an after-school special. In fact, I would have accused them of just making an after-school special. Mm. What, what really saves this episode for me is watching the torment that, that uh, Picard goes through. And I do feel like he is really, I, I feel like he's really affected by that on a number of levels. I don't believe he wants anybody to suffer. He actually says at the end, when, um, uh, oh, Merritt's character, whose, whose name I can't remember already. Tijan. Right. Yeah. When Tijan says, I hope you know what, what you've done to our planet. And Picard says, oh, yeah. I mean, that's it's, it's wonderful. I mean, he's got I mean, the reason he's doing this is because there is that glimmer. You know, he knows what's going to happen at the end of it, because I do believe that he really does want to help them. But he thinks that this is the best way to help them. And I do love that scene in the um, in the in the uh, turbo lift as well. Mm-hmm. When he stops the uh, turbo lift and, and starts talking to her more one to one as opposed to captain to subordinate. But I mean, he actually uses her first name. He doesn't say doctor. He doesn't say Dr. Crusher. He says Beverly. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Right. I mean, uh, this, uh, this, uh, the stuff that he's saying, I don't get the sense that this is an easy blustery thing for him to do. And that's what actually makes this just a fantastic episode. And you can look at it as a fantastic episode, in my opinion, as, okay, we're learning even more now about uh, Picard and the way Picard works and the way Picard deals. We're learning more about the prime directive and what a thorny subject it can be. It just, it, it, for some reason, it really resonated with me. It really hit with me. Um, and the drug thing was just sort of backdrop. Like, uh, sort of like last week when we, when we seemed to come to, the, or I came to, you, I don't know that you did necessarily with the same sort of vehemence that I did. Mm-hmm. The whole war machine thing last week was just backdrop. I mean, the real issue was unfettered capitalism, which you right. initially right, mentioned, right, right. but that actually ended up being the message that I took away from it. And so it could have been unfettered capitalism about a number of things. It just happened to be about war. This, to me, is a prime directive episode. The backdrop happens to be the drug addiction thing. And certainly the drug addiction message is in there all the way through it. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just because I was looking for something more interesting than that. This, to me, is not a drug addiction episode. It's a prime directive episode. And what we're going to use this week to illustrate the prime directive is, is you know, dealing with the, with the drug addiction scenario. 
Whereas, see, I mean, Code of Honor was a Prime Directive episode. Right, right, just, right. just a whole bunch of horrible, horrible visuals. Just terrible choices. Yeah, just yeah. horrible things going on there. But it was still a Prime Directive episode. And it's like, okay, so that time it was that. This time we're telling the story about this. But they're telling the same story each time. Which, you know, again, then comes back to what is the Prime Directive? Is it about right. the actual wording of we don't get involved with cultures that aren't as advanced? Or is it, you know, more than that is the layer of the Prime Directive we said we're going to be this thing, and so good or bad, easy or difficult, we're going to be this thing. Yeah. And, and that's where it works for me. I, I agree with you that the Prime Directive stuff here is fascinating, and it's well-played, and it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it still gives nuance to that thing that we have talked about over and over again. Um, and even more interestingly, we get to see the Prime Directive use sort of against our enemies (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. Uh, that is a great moment in the cargo uh, bay where uh, Picard says oh yeah so the prime directive was fine when it benefited you right but look but now we're going to even the playing field right so here's here's what the prime directive means I I agree with you that all that stuff is great it's really really well done in this episode and I do like the conflict that Picard has with himself I do like the the conflict slash explanation uh, when he's talking about it with Beverly. I think I'm still fixated on the idea of looking at the, the addiction side, the drug side. And I go, this is a horrible thing. Is there a message here about what to do with people who are addicted to drugs? And at the end of the day, is there a message in this episode that says, you know, the best thing you can do with people who are addicted to drugs is just let them, Figure it out on their own. Let let them suffer through detox on their own. Well, because that's the thing that but but that's what they do. They leave them on that planet and say, wow, I really hope this works. But we don't know. Well, they do probably it will it will be horrible for them, at least in the short term. Yes. And maybe it will continue to be horrible for them later than that. I don't know why it would continue to be horrible for them later than that, because there's no way they're going to get between planets. I mean, this this is a 72-hour yeah. thing. They're going to kick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, basically, they're going to hit bottom. What, what, what he's doing, again, forgive me, maybe it's because I've been watching The Wire. I mean, basically, mm-hmm. they're not letting the Anorans live in their basement. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> right. They've been burned too many times, and they're like, look, I love you. I just, you can't be here now, man. Go get yourself clean. Except they can't even tell them that that's what they're going to do. It's going to be a horrible several weeks on on that planet. And I really don't think the two Breckians are going to live. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, really and, 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 lucky, and lucky for the Enterprise crew that they don't have to be around to watch that. Yeah. See, and th- th- that, again is, that again is another place that where this episode just so works for me. At the very end of it, there, you know, Picard's like, I don't care where we go. Let's just, ah, this just sucked. Let's leave. Let's yeah. just, oh, they're, just, they're, they're, their potential and upcoming suffering is just really going to bum me out. So yeah, exactly. I'd so. rather leave. Let, let's take a page out of Kirk. And just forget just that we're here. Get the here. heck out of here. You, you, know, you decide. I don't even care. I don't just, just just go. I don't even want to look at that amazingly never seen anything like it star that looks like all the other stars anymore. Let's just yeah. go. Let's just I just I, I, I hate the idea of consequence. What's going on in the SETI Alpha system these days? Let's just <laughs> you. Bastard. Let's see what's going on there. <laughs> That's right. I just called you a bastard. <laughs> <sighs> so what are the messages then? Oh well, okay. Drugs are bad. That's well, we'll get that out of the way. That is definitely it's a message here. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think uh, I think if you I think an economist or a business person looking at this would say it's a bad idea to put all your eggs in one basket. 
Um, the Brachians have no other industry because they don't need another industry. Their entire economy is based on the production of something that they don't need, but the Anarans, you know, can't live without until they can. So, I mean, this is really just going to, yeah, from a, from a, from an economic standpoint, uh, this, is a, this is a terribly flawed, terribly flawed uh, system, it seems. You can only get by with that for so long, you know, for it, it sort of be, being the the last person standing making, uh, you know, horse carriages mm-hmm. at the time that the automobile was booming. You know, it, it's, it's really sad <laughs> that yeah. they will lose their economy that way. But the Breckians, we feel like they kind of have it coming. Um, <laughs> nice. it, it, it is it is a uh, a culture again a monoculture maybe that only has this one thing that they do. We don't know how big the population of Breckians might be mm-hmm. on the planet. I kept thinking, you know, they should learn something from the Altaians. They they could get into woodworking and music, and they too could have closets full of artwork that uh, they don't know how to get rid of. You know, it really is kind of terrible, right? So they've got all of everything that they'll ever need, and apparently mm-hmm. all they've pursued is just sitting around. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's really too bad. You would like to think that you know, if you had unlimited resources, that you'd do something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> anything. Know? That you might be like, yeah, so we're really good at making drugs, but we're also really good at making steak. So stop by. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll get you hooked up, and then yeah. you will have a meal uh, for the gods, yeah. Yeah, assuming the gods like steak. Maybe yeah. maybe they could make ambrosia instead, and then it would be right. <laughs> food right. of the gods right there. I, I, you know, I... I guess I, I guess maybe I'm off the lesson part of it. I just love the fact that no part of this episode is clean. I love the fact that no part of this episode is clean. This would have ended with a slap on the back from in most cases. Honestly, though, it, it a private little war mm-hmm. didn't that end with Kirk just saying, "Just let's leave. Yeah. Let's just yeah. leave. There's nothing yeah. we can do here. Let's just get out." I mean, at the very least, we know that this is going to end after some very ghastly times. This is going to end well. But I like the fact that no part of this episode is 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 um, sanitized, except for the after school special in the middle. But right, right. you know, it's it's an after school special. What are you going to do? It, everybody has conflict in this, which is kind of cool to see. And yeah. we do get interesting messages explored. So I, I give the show props for that mm-hmm. for sure. I, I just think that there's there's still some conflict in my mind about what other messages are to be gleaned from this implicit or explicit. So then we say, you know, do those messages hold up? Well, sure. Yeah. You know, I think all of those messages are, are worthwhile. I would say in this, in this case, drugs are bad. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Don't talk and, to me about SETI Omicron 3. No, and having an economy based on only one thing. That's a really bad idea. That's a really terrible idea. Yeah. All right. So I guess that's that then. I we're, guess so. I, you know, I'm amazed. It's I, So I'm looking at the rundown. We're getting mm-hmm. actually very close to the end of season one. Uh, How is that possible? I don't know. I don't just either. just keep going yeah. and have no time to look back. I know. I just, you know, it did one episode after another episode after another episode. And of course, that means there's another episode next week. Skin of Evil. Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, 
free to download at kitheory.com. Next episode, the fate of a sometimes poorly written, but well-acted Tasha Yar is decided. Join me, and Tom and Jerry, to see what happens. And transmission. your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.